am so thankful for the summer. My kids are sleeping in till 7.30. You remember when you were single and sleeping in was like noon? Y'all remember that? Like you got up at the crack of noon? And it was like, you know, you went and had brunch with your fabulous friends and you bought shoes. Yeah, I remember that. I've read about it in books. Yeah, my kids are sleeping until 7.30. We've got our summer routine going. And I tell you what, I feel like tonight it's sort of like Sarah Stevens Unplugged. You know, we had an awesome anniversary service. Was anybody here for that? That was great. Michael Jr. was so funny. He was actually, I expected him to be good, but he was actually better than what I thought. And I was like, hey, that's bonus. Thank you, Lord. And Sandy Cruz was amazing. I tell you what, and we, we just celebrated what God has done over the last 10 years. And what I love about it is we're just getting started. We're, the best is yet to come. And here we are at the summer, and so I'm kind of recovering from the anniversary service. My kids are out of school, and I'm sporting flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt. So it is Sarah Stevens Unplugged. And here, let me, let me pull a Michael Jr. Let me go on break. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just getting started. Well, <clears throat> Pastor Frankie is going to be back next Wednesday. And um, so he is going to start a brand new series when he gets back in the pulpit. You guys know we've been just working our way through the New Testament. And we did the prison epistles. We did Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We've done four books of the Bible. We did Acts on Sunday mornings, a good part of over half of Acts. And when he gets back a week from tonight, we're going to start in 1 John together. And we're going to go through 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And I love that I'm in a church that teaches the word of God. Isn't that crazy that in today's age you have to like get excited about a church that actually uses a Bible? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, we have found a home, honey, that used the Bible. And so I'm excited about that because, you know, when I read in his word, it says he sent his word and it healed them. And there are areas of my life that need healing. And it says the word of our Lord stands forever. And I'm like, Lord, I want to invest in what is eternal. And he goes on and on and he tells us in his word that it's, it's meant to wash us and to keep us clean and to keep us living right. And I'm like, Lord, those are all things that I need. So any minute of any day and any church service I can be in, when we open up the word, I'm like, I'm in it. I'm all about it. So come back a week from tonight. Pastor Frankie will kick off First John with you. And so I'm going to kind of do what we call sort of a, an in-between uh, message. It's not a part of his series, but I thought I'd just set it up for him and, and kind of tee it up so he can kind of knock it out of the park next week. So I'm going to be teaching out of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be 1 John 5. And I'll tell you how I kind of came. Is there something I need to do? Like maybe... Is it the anointing boys? Just shoot me straight. Is it so rich tonight? It's like blowing out the speakers. I don't know. It's the table. It's the, I don't know. Well, bear with me. I know they're going to figure that out, guys. And so we'll just kind of keep trugging along at it. But um, I have no, I, I've always been told that I'm pretty loud. But now it's like almost getting me a little bit paranoid a little bit. Like maybe I'm too loud. But um, I'll tell you kind of how I came here into 1 John. I was um, 
kind of just watching the news, and I don't know about you guys, but things that just used to be out of bounds, even by secular standards, you know, things that people who were not even believers were like, no, that's out of bounds, that's untoward, no way, we're not going to go there. In society, more and more of those things are becoming mainstream. And so I'm looking at it as a mom who's raising two young kids. I'm looking at it as a friend who sees people struggling with these areas in their lives. And I just keep running back to the word of God. And I'm like, Lord, the earth is just as dark today as it was in your time. Because John tells us that the light came into the darkness and the darkness understood it not. And so I'm like, Lord, our earth, our world is dark. But you have always been the light. Lord, how do I bear witness to that light? How do I meet my friends and my neighbors and the loved ones who I know are struggling with areas in their lives and the society and kind of where things are going? What am I supposed to do in all of this? You know, there's some things, I don't know about you guys, but I, I look on Facebook and I feel like there isn't one, like, Christian reaction to some of the crazy stuff that's happening in our world. There's, like, 500 reactions. And it's not, like, one voice or one light, one message. It's, like, 100 different messages, and they all get kind of drowned out by the incredibly loud, evil spin that the world has. And so I'm like, Lord, where do we go from here? Lord, how do we reflect the one true light? How do we reflect that you are here to save people and to bring them into a knowledge of who you are and to free them from their sin, just like you were 2,000 years ago when you were walking on this planet, because you were the light, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness understood it not. So Lord, how do we bridge that gap? How do we help bring people into a knowledge of who you are? Because I've got loved ones who do not know the Lord, who are pray for every day. And I'm like, Lord, I am holding on to you to be that light to them. I have, my kids are in public school and I'm like, Lord, I'm holding on to you to be that light in this culture for us to be that salt and light. And you probably have that same thing in your family. And I want to encourage you tonight. I want to equip you tonight. And my message is three witnesses because I want to talk about the three witnesses that were on the earth that bore bore witness that Jesus was the Messiah and the Christ. And so our message tonight is three witnesses, and we're going to talk about it in 1 John. So we get in the message here, and it says in 1 John 5, 8, <clears throat> that there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. There are three witnesses on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. So I'm going to answer two questions tonight. One is, what is John talking about? You ever read a verse in scripture and you have to read it like really slow, and then you have to read it again, and then you go get your kid's children's Bible that has the pictures, and you go look it up in that? <laughs> That's what I do. And I'm like, okay, let me read this one more time. And then you ask Pastor Frankie when you're stumped all the way around. So we're going to answer that question, what is John talking about? And then the other question we're going to answer is, what does that mean for me in 2015? There are three witnesses on the earth, the spirit, the blood, and the water, and they all agree in one. So John is the last living disciple. This book is written around 90 AD, and he is the last living disciple, and he is writing to the church. So this church is relatively young. It's only about 70 years old, and there's already heresy and error in the church. And so he's writing them a letter like a grandfather writes his grandchildren and says, this is, I want you to know what true 
the true gospel is. I want you to know who Jesus was. And he says, I am a credible witness. I touched him. I saw his miracles. I was at the crucifixion. I was at the resurrection. You can take my word for it. This man was the son of God. And all of that book, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, John is saying, I'm a credible witness. I'm the only one left. The others have gone on to glory. And I'm trying to share with you this life and this message and how you're supposed to live. So that's his heart. Well, then he goes on to say, well, if you don't even want to believe me, if you don't even want to take the testimony of a man, there are three witnesses that are on the earth that bear witness and prove that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. And they are the spirit, the blood, and the water. And these three agree in one. And so we're going to break that down and we're going to look at how those three testify to Jesus. Now, some of you are sitting going, Sarah, I already know Jesus is the Messiah. Sold. Well, that's great. My job is done and we can go home. Break time. <laughs> but I also know in 1 Peter, where it says in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that he would proclaim his praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Even though you're sold, Jesus is the Messiah. He is king of your life. The three witnesses that bore witness that he was Christ on earth, they're going to bear witness in your life as well. The spirit, the blood, and the water. Because you are a royal priest. You are a chosen generation. And you are going to bear witness to the people around you because you were once in darkness. And you were called out of darkness into his glorious light. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, hey, Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. You don't have to take my word for it. The church was not going to believe John's testimony alone. And most of your friends may say, yeah, that's good for you, Sarah, but I don't know. That's, that's just not the way it rolls for me. And I want to look back at my friends and say, well, don't take my word for it. Look at these three witnesses. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what the truth is and bear witness with you. So we're going to jump right into it. And the first witness that John talks about is he talks about the spirit. And the spirit here... Uh, is power. If you're taking notes, the first witness is spirit. And the first time we see Jesus sort of being overshadowed or being the Holy Spirit being present in his ministry is right when he comes out of the wilderness and he's been uh, fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he comes out and he goes to John to be baptized. And John baptizes him. And then John says, I saw the spirit descending like a dove and he rested on Jesus, and then he heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So we have Jesus sort of, that's the first time we see the spirit kind of hovering over him. Well, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. My parents grew up Pentecostal holiness. So that was, I don't know if any of you grew up that way, but kind of very charismatic, very, um, very traditional. And then my, my dad had to cut his hair when he came to know the Lord, and he said it was a good thing he loved my mother. So he was willing to cut his hair and stop listening to rock and roll. So I grew up Pentecostal holiness, and then my parents went to the AG church, and then I went to a Baptist college. I dated a Presbyterian Calvinist for just a little bit and scared my Pentecostal grandmother to death. And then I married a Methodist and went on staff at a non-denominational church. So KJV, NIV, whatever it's got to be, you can come see me because I have been there and done it all. So when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I have heard it in several different Christian camps. And a lot of people, when you say, well, what is the Holy Spirit? Some of the friends in those circles will say, it's the gifts. 
It's the gifts that are talked about in Corinthians. It is, you know, prophecy. It is a word of knowledge. It is this prayer language. We hear about it's the gifts. And then I ask another friend in one of those other circles, and they say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus and descended on a dove and was on the earth at that time. And I'm like, okay, yes, you're right. And then you ask another camp, and they say, it's the gifts. It's fruit, joy, love, patience, kindness, gentleness. And I'm like, yes. And they're all three right. But none of the circles that I grew up in, from Pentecostal holiness to my Methodist husband to my non-denominational church, ever talked about the Holy Spirit being power, that he was power. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, when, when Peter is preaching, this is after Jesus' ministry, Jesus has died and been risen again. Peter says in Acts 10.39, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good, curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, Lord... I want the Holy Spirit to look like in my life like it looked like in Jesus's. I want the gifts. I want the fruit. But, Lord, I want the power. I want to be anointed so that I can go about doing good works. I can love my husband like I'm supposed to. I can raise my kids like I'm supposed to. I can help my neighbor like I'm supposed to. And I can cure and free anyone who's under the tyranny of the devil. I can say, friend, I've been in darkness. Come into the light. That's what I want. I, that's what I want the Holy Spirit to look like in my life today. And so John's like setting up this case for why Jesus is the Messiah. And he's like, I'm here to tell you that the Spirit testifies. The Spirit is a witness because Jesus did miracles, was anointed with power, and this world has never been the same since. You know, I'm so thankful for the gifts. I'm thankful for every part and every inch of the Holy Spirit that we have here on earth. You know, I'll I'll confess to you guys, I don't read owner's manuals. You ever buy something and actually read the manual? Like all the engineers in the room are nodding at me, like, of course you read the manual. Why don't you read the manual? I'm like, I don't know. I think they put it in Chinese because Chinese people read the manual. I don't read the manual. So my husband, we bought this really nice car. And, of course, it had all the bells and whistles because my husband is a gadget guy. He loves Apple. You know, he loves all those Bluetooth, all this different stuff. I think if you have a Bluetooth, you need to see a dentist. You know, like that's where I'm at when it comes to technology. So I just get in a car and drive because a car is for driving. I'm like, ignition, gas pedal, brake, I'm good. Well, like two weeks go by. And my husband is, like, making phone calls from the steering wheel. He's, like, telling the radio where to go. And for a split second, I thought that Methodist had more of the Holy Spirit than I did. (laughs) That's anointing. Go to KSBJ, and the radio goes to KSBJ. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. Well, then I find out the car has all these amazing bells and whistles I never knew about because I didn't read the owner's manual. I just jumped in the car and got And sometimes I feel like when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved, and we jump in our car and go, and then we never read the owner's manual. And we never know all of the amazing options, all the amazing authority, all of the power that we are entitled to because of the Spirit, because we're just busy driving our car, because it just gets us from A to B. Our relationship with Jesus is just here to here. It'll get me from here to here. And it's so much more, friend. 
It is fathomless. It is deep. It is wide. And it says in the scripture that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit. Can you imagine? And so I'm here to say, I want the Holy Spirit to look like it did in Jesus' life, in my own life. And the first witness was the Spirit. So the second witness, we keep moving on. And it says here that it's water, that John says there's three witnesses, there's spirit, there's water and blood, and we look at the, and the water side of it. And when that same scene where Jesus comes out of the desert in John 1, he's been tempted and he's starting his ministry, he goes, and he be, he goes to be baptized by the, John the Baptist. Now here's a good question. How was John the Baptist baptizing people before Jesus' ministry? Because, you know, if, if you've ever been baptized and water baptized and, you know, when they take you and, and when we water baptize here and we go to put people under the water, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you baptize them and bring them up. And some people add a little bit extra. You are dead in Christ and raised alive in him. We charge about 50 cents more for that, but we'll throw it in for you if you want it. And so I'm like, wow, you know, how is John baptizing before Jesus, so if he's, is he, he can't baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we're not there yet, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm reading about it, I'm researching it, and John is doing what's called a mikvah. And in Jewish tradition, every week, um, men in, in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish religion, would take a, a symbolic bath before they went to temple every week. And John is baptizing them with water to symbolize you need to walk in holiness. You need to get yourself cleaned up and ready because the one who's coming after me, I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with fire. And you need to be ready for him. I can't even untie that guy's sandal, but I'm going to keep baptizing you. I'm going to be this voice in the wilderness telling you, get ready, the Messiah's coming. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness and goes to John to be baptized. And John says, hold up. Brother, you don't need me to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus tells John, no, let's do this so that it's in order. I need to be baptized by you. And the second witness is water because it represents purity and holiness. Jesus was without sin. He was without blemish. But he still submitted himself to John to be water baptized to say, hey, it matters to all of us that we walk in holiness, that we walk in purity, and we strive to be out of sin. And so he goes, you know what? That's the second witness. It's the water witness. Now, some of you, I just said holiness, and everybody in the room went, she just went Old Testament on me. She said holiness. I felt it. I could feel the room jar. Remember, my grandmother was Pentecostal. Holiness. And some of us, we kind of have this connotation or this reference, and we have sort of this, this negative reflection on holiness because it seems like a goal we can never achieve. You know, when I read in Peter, 1 Peter, it says, Be ye holy as I am holy. I feel like, Lord, that's a target I can never hit. And it, I end up feeling like a defeatist Christian. Well, he knows I'm just flesh. I can't achieve it. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And there's sort of this, this relaxed, laissez-faire, defeatist attitude, you know, when it comes to holiness. I think the pendulum swung too far. 
And I'm here to tell you plain and simple that holiness looks like obedience. When you hear the word holiness, hear obedience. Obedience to God's word. Obedience to what he has for you in your life. You know, I, I read in Isaiah because our culture, there's so many different situations coming up. And so I'm like, well, Lord, how am I supposed to teach my children about this? Or how am I supposed to tell my children to react to this at the pool? Or how do I, you know, and it's all these different situational ethics is what they call it, where we're trying to figure out what the answer is to a hundred different things. And I was reminded in Isaiah where it says, whether you walk to the right or to the left, there will be a voice in your ear telling you, this is the way, walk in it. That... That is holiness because it's just obedience. You're listening to that voice in your ear and it is tender and it is kind and the voice of Jesus always comes to you in hope. It is never condemning. And he says, this is the way, walk in it. That's holiness. That's holiness. And I'm sitting here and and people are, are thinking, well, gosh, Sarah, it just feels Old Testament. Isn't there a new covenant? Does holiness matter? You know, and I, I think, you know what? Let me get New Testament on you. Because Pastor Frankie's going to read from 1 John, and I'm going to read you this verse from 1 John 2, and I'm going to read it like it's a, in a letter, not so much that it's, it's like the message version. It says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We can talk all day long about our love for God, but if we do not keep his commandments, we are liars. And the truth of God is not in us. If we love Jesus, we'll obey his word. I'm going to go New Testament on you. Holiness is obedience. And it's just obeying the one who loves you. And obeying the one who has only good things for you and wants you to live. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And that's the words he's speaking into you. And holiness, you know, when we look at the Old Testament, we see the Israelites, they were redeemed and then given the law. They weren't redeemed by obeying the law. They were redeemed so they could obey the law. You get it? So they were redeemed, brought out of Egypt, and then given the law. You and I, we are redeemed. Christ brings us to himself. We are reconciled to him. He becomes our savior. And then he says, this is the way, walk in it. Walking in the way does not make you saved. He redeems you first, but walking in the way keeps you safe. That's the way holiness works. So, you know, a lot of times I sit there and I, I feel like I've got that impossible mark. You know, be holy as I am holy. And I do pretty good till about Monday, about 9.30. That's how far I can keep my holiness in check. And I go to work at about 9. So y'all know I've got a good 30 minutes in before it breaks loose. But I'm always encouraged that Ephesians 3.16 says that the Holy Spirit's work in me is to strengthen the inner man. That I can resist the sins I couldn't before. And I could do the good that was almost impossible. And I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you don't set this bar for me. And then you don't come and pick me up on your shoulders and help me to reach it. The Holy Spirit's at work strengthening my inner man. So three witnesses. The first one is the Spirit. The second one is the holiness and the water. And I love the way, too, it says in John, it says they are all three agreeing in one. And we already see how holiness 
and the Spirit are together strengthening the body. I want to I wanna mention this. I, I mentioned it earlier. It said that um, Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit, and he was also without sin. And I always thought, you know, I saw those as two independent things, but I want to submit to you that they were tied together. That the more of your flesh that you crucify and the more of the, the will that you surrender to the Holy Spirit, the more sealing he has in your life. And Jesus demonstrated that for us. He was without sin and had the Holy Spirit without limit. And I always say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit to look in my life like it looked in yours. And Father, speak in my ear. Show me the way and I'll walk in it. Just help me to be obedient one minute and one day at a time. So two witnesses. And for our friends, those will be the most powerful witnesses we can demonstrate. The Spirit and the water. And the third witness John talks about is the blood. You know, John is talking in this same scene where Jesus is coming out of the wilderness and he's going to baptize Jesus when John 1. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think it's amazing that at the onset of Jesus's ministry, John prophesies what his ministry is all about. Jesus has not even recruited a single disciple yet. He has literally gone from the wilderness to be baptized, and now he's going to start his public ministry. And the first thing that's spoken over Jesus' ministry in his life is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that third witness is the blood. You know, so many times... When I read in the word, it's even from, from the beginning of his birth, you know, the spices that the, the wise men brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The frankincense and myrrh were used to anoint his body. You think from the very beginning, his plan and his mission on the earth was always made clear, and it was always about the blood. It was always about buying us out of bondage and buying us out of sin and freeing all who are under the tyranny of the devil. I like the way that the CSB puts that because I can tell you sin feels like freedom, but at the end of the day, it's tyranny. You are a slave to what you cannot master. That's the way it works. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm here to break that up. I'm here to break that with the blood. So you read in John this other scene where Jesus is teaching in Capernaum and we're talking about the third witness, the blood, and it's in John 6. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But it's in John 6:53, and it says, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And I'm sitting here, this is another one of those verses where you got to read it slow and you got to go back and try to understand it and see what Jesus is trying to say to us. But what, what encourages me about this is the same guy who wrote this gospel is the one who's writing to us in 1 John. Same author. And he says there's three witnesses and the third witness is the blood because the blood of Jesus is the only thing that has had the power to save, the power to heal, the power to change and miraculously transform a life. And Jesus says, unless you have my blood, unless you, you sup with me, that you are a part of who I am, you can't be raised to eternal life. 
It's not gonna, it doesn't happen any other way. Another place in John, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father but by me. And so you sit here and you're like, Jesus is like, this is it, people. It's this way or no way. And what happens next, like, just totally floors me. Because the reaction of the people he's preaching to in verse 60 is, there were many of his disciples who heard this. These were people who were on his team. And they said, this is, teaching is hard. Who can accept it? He went to the church, to his disciples who were following him, and said, this is the only way to eternal life. You got to, this is the way you go, people. And they said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept this? And I'm like, God, how much have things stayed the same? Where even in today's culture, we come to people and we say, there's one way. There's one truth. There's one life. And they're like, this is hard teaching. Who can accept this? They're willing to go along with Jesus until their flesh gets offended. They're willing to go along with Jesus until there's a point where the blood says no more. You know, Spurgeon said that that Christ is like the gentle physician who seeks to ease the pain of the patient by curing him of the disease. And I'm like, Lord, I'm thankful that you are patient and kind and a tender physician to me and to my sin, that you seek to cure me of this disease, not treat my symptoms, not help me cope with this lifestyle, but you want to cure me. And the blood is the only antidote and the only medication there is for that, for that illness, for that sickness. So we're sitting here, and the disciples say, this is hard teaching, who can take this? And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, does this offend you? <laughs> I want to submit to you that every Christian will have a place where your flesh will ask you enough. Every Christian will have a place where we're at this crossroads where Jesus says, does this offend you? It offended the disciples then, it'll offend us now. It's just the way the gospel works, that our flesh and our spirit war against each other. The sin in our lives offends the Holy Spirit, and repentance offends our flesh. That's the way it works. They war at each other. And Jesus says, does this offend you? And then the disciples go on, and it says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. He had more than 12. That's always shocking to me. I always thought he just had 12 disciples. He had more than 12. And it said, many turned back and no longer accompanied him. And Jesus looked at his 12 and he said, don't you want to go away too? And I love Peter's answer. Peter said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words that are eternal life. All of us are going to have this crossroads where the rubber meets the road and either Jesus is our savior or he isn't. Either the three witnesses are, are active and alive in our lives or they aren't. And there comes this point where we just have to look at Christ and say, where will I go? You have the words that are eternal life. God, I'm with you in good, in bad. I am with you, though it hurts 
for a little bit to let go of this sin, I trust that your joy and the forgiveness that I'm experiencing is going to be more than any pleasure this sin could offer me for a season. Because i got to tell you, I have to live it as much as I preach it, and I ask for forgiveness every day. There are things that I have to literally wrestle to get loosed out of my life and say, Lord, nope, I'm surrendering that to you. Everybody's got that. Everybody's got that area of their life that they have to put under the authority of Jesus Christ every single day. We all have that part of us that we have to trust our Savior to heal and forgive. It keeps us humble. You know, I said I was going to answer two questions. What were the three witnesses and what was John talking about? The spirit, the blood, and the water. And then I'd say, well, what does this mean for us today? In 2015, what does this mean for us today? And the question I have for you is, are these three witnesses testifying in your life? You know, in the, in the circles of Christian friends that I've had, in the circles of friends that weren't believers, some of them would say, well, I've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and power with me, but there's no forgiveness and there's no holiness. And then other friends were all about the rules and they had holiness down pat. They didn't even park in a grocery store parking lot that shared a parking lot with a movie theater. You know, they had it down pat. But there was no repentance. And then some people are like, well, I've got the repentance down pat. I've got repentance. I'm asking the Lord every day. I'm not, and there's no power from the Holy Spirit. And I love the way John says, these three agree in one. And so the question I have for you and for myself is, are all three testifying in my life? If my friends are going to come to know the Lord, if we are going to be the light in the darkness, we got to have all three in equal measure and in consistency. That it shapes every decision we make. It affects the way we talk to our families. That it changes the way we view current events. That it's those three things in operation every day because all three of those things are bearing witness to one thing, the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ that that's all that's ever mattered and it's all that will matter. You know, Pastor Frankie's going to start teaching out of 1 Corinthians on Sunday. And Paul opens up 1 Corinthians and he says um, he'd planted this church and then three years later he comes back and he says, the Jews want signs among you and the Greeks demand that I preach wisdom. But I have vowed to preach Christ and his cross alone. And I'm like, man, so many times I've got this thing where I want something from God. You know, Lord, I want power and I want the Holy Spirit active. And then there are other people who are like, well, I want wisdom. I want to know how to treat my wife and I want to know how I should be living. And they're both good things. And Paul says to his church that both have these demands. I am determined to preach Christ and the cross to you alone. What? That's incredible. So I'm sitting here today and I'm like, Lord, these three witnesses, I want them to have equal measure in my life. But at the end of the day, my job is just to reflect the cross. That that's the light and that's the brilliance. And that's what changes people's lives. They aren't going to be won over by anything else. You know, Pastor Colin is in um, Times Square Church in New York City. And he had this amazing, I was listening to him preach, you know, because sometimes you just listen to different sermons and there's pastors all over the country who just have amazing words. You know, we're, we have modern day apostles among us today and I just love listening to their words. And Pastor Colin was preaching, he was actually sharing his testimony and he said, we do not present a theory of God, but we are called to be living witnesses 
And I thought, man, the church today, we pre we're really good at presenting a theory of God, that this is how substitutionary atonement works. You know, those big theological words, you know? This is, this is what the blood of Jesus and the perfect lamb, and this is what it was all about. But people are getting lost in the theory, and they aren't getting to the heart of it to where you and I are to be those living witnesses. You know, I don't want to be spooky or silly to my friends. I just want to be an example of a transformed life, a miraculous life that is bearing witness to the work of the cross. All I know, I was dead and going to hell, and all of a sudden, I met this man named Jesus, and my life is different, and I'm alive, and I have a future and a hope. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Follow me as I follow Christ. I was called out of darkness into his glorious light. That is where life change happens. It's not a theory of God. It's the living witness of who he is. And the three witnesses agree in one. And they will agree in one in our lives. You know, why don't you stand with me? And Isaiah is going to help me close out the service. But I was uh, reading... In Psalm, and it's in Psalm 51 7. And David is basically affirming. It's beautiful. The, the beauty of the scripture is the way it weaves together and kind of creates this amazing, just complimentary blanket for us. And it says in Psalm 51, David says, Purge me with hyssop, which was like what they would use to for sacrifices for the blood when they would do the sacrifices in the Old Testament. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. There's the water, the blood and the water. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's the spirit, David, 2,000 years, thousands of years before Jesus is echoing the same message that John has for us in 1 John that these three bear witness and agree in one. And I think it's beautiful the way, the order that David lays it out. He says, wash me with hyssop. There's the blood, there's repentance. And now wash me. There's that holiness, there's that pursuit of, I'm, I'm turning from the sin, Lord. You are making me white as snow. And he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, cleansing, Holy Spirit is true for David. John is writing to his sweet children in the Lord and saying, this is the way it works. And here we sit at 6565 Research Forest and it's the same for us. The Holy Spirit's call, Jesus' invitation for us is the same. And so I don't know where you are tonight. If you have something that you just need to get washed, you're like, Lord, you know what? I had a hard week, it's Wednesday. I just got some things that you just need to wash. You need to purge this. Cleanse me with your blood. I thank you that your blood conquers all. I thank you that I can put anything under the blood. And you will wash me, and I will be made clean, white as snow. Lord, that I, you will be a voice in my ear telling me, this is the way, walk in it. When I have a choice at work, when I have a choice at my job, when I have a choice about how I'm going to respond to my children, I trust that you're going to be the voice in my ear urging me towards holiness, which is just obedience to you. This is the way, walk in it. And Lord, at the end of the day, thank you for your power. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, that it is the joy of my salvation, that it is the deposit of things to come. Lord, thank you for that. Help the Holy Spirit in my life look like the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus' life.
don't know where you are tonight. I don't know if it's the blood, the water, or the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to have all three in equal measure. I want you to have all three. It's like a three-legged stool. If you try to stand on one of the legs are missing, this is what your life's going to look like. we got to have all three agreeing in one so that we can walk in everything God has for us. 